Hey. Yeah, what are you doing when a pastor says that? Good morning. Yeah, we know that one. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, before we begin, because I'll get into it and then I'll forget, because I don't know, that's how I roll. So I'm just going to pray right at the outset here. So if you'll join me, let's see God together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this amazing moment, this day that you have given us and the chance that we have to, to come together as your people and to, to seek your face, to seek understanding, to seek wisdom, to seek truth, to seek beauty. Um, bring beauty among us today. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak through the word of God. Speak through this servant's mouth. Speak into our hearts and may what is real, what is true, uh, take root there. Um, we love you, and we give this moment to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, I, got, I was saying it this morning, I realized this, kind of getting a hangout here with you. I have not worshipped in this room in, it's got to be a couple months because usually I'm, I'm hanging out in, in the mosaic or I'm, I'm in the gymnasium. And, and so I missed you. It's good to see you. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, <laughs> if it's been that long, uh, Doug Baker, one of the pastors here, thank you. She remembers me. My shiny, happy face. For those of you that are worshiping with us online, Hi, it's really good to see you too. We hope that uh, you are blessed. It's really nice that we can worship together. And uh, if you ever get a chance to come on down and, and hang out with us in person, it'd be good to get to know you too and understand. So thanks for uh, joining us. Um, today is the first Sunday of Advent, right? Woohoo! Because <laughs> if you like Christmas, you can Advent's the ramp up to get there. Now, we thought that it would be a really good opportunity if we would dig into Advent in a kind of a traditional way, but different. We want to do kind of old school, but we want to put a twist on it. So we are going to do some traditional themes over the course of Advent this year. You know, like the tradition, you know, you got your uh, Advent candle thingy over here, um, the wreath, and you light one candle per, and each one of those candles has a theme to it, like a, a, a lesson through it. And, and so that's what we're going to be digging into, you know, things like hope and love and peace and joy, um, those are going to be our themes. Now, the thing that we're going to do different is we are going to uh, explore those themes from their inverse. What? All right, so one of the things we wanted to recognize is that uh, it, the, one of the ways the Bible helps us to understand what God does, the power of what he does, the beauty of how he works. And oftentimes when the Bible does that, tells us about the amazing work that God does. It also explains uh, and shares stories about the fallen brokenness. So we get to see just this brokenness of the world that is it is crumbling in sin and then God acts and it's this beautiful thing and we see these two things in juxtaposition and that's what we want to do over Advent. We want to juxtapose these great themes. Um, so if that's still confusing, how about this? One of the reasons that God's love is so impactful in our world is because of how powerfully it stands against hate. The promise of peace is so sacred because we understand what it is to face chaos. And today, we're talking about hope. And the reason we need Jesus to be our hope is because life is often filled with hopelessness. Another word for that is despair. 
So today, uh, we're going to be doing the traditional themes, but we're going to be doing a little bit different. And that means as we open God's word for today, uh, we're going to probably be in a place where you don't typically think you're going to be on the first Sunday of Advent. We're heading toward Christmas. It's supposed to be a time of celebration. And then we open up Exodus chapter 1, and things go awry. Uh, this is a perfect place for us to start because this wraps up, puts a nice little bow on the whole story of Joseph. We were talking about the story of Joseph for many months leading up to now, and this kind of ties up all of the loose ends. We finally hear how it all kind of ends with Joseph and his family. So I invite you to open your Bibles. We're in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to just read the whole chapter, and we're going to hear how things take a left turn for God's people. If there's ever a reason for despair... So these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob. Israel and Jacob are the same person, remember. Each with his family. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Well, then a new king, who, uh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We must deal shrewdly with them. Or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll try to join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. You know, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. That's the second time they said that. In fact, the king of Egypt even said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Well, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are more vigorous than the Egyptian women. They give birth before the midwives arrive. I think they might have made that up. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew, boy, it, it, it turned harsh fast. 
I mean, from all the shiny happiness of Joseph and his family and having all the blessings of Pharaoh and, and being the vice president of all of Egypt and having all that power to suddenly, boom, a couple of generations later, nobody remembers your name, a new king is in charge, and now suddenly all the people of God are in slavery. Numerous generations now under in abject slavery being worked ruthlessly by their oppressors. If we're going to talk about hope today, we have to talk about despair because it's a reality. I mean, there are so many, Pastor Kurt was saying this just a little bit ago, there are so many folks for which Christmas is not an exciting time. It is a desperate time. Do we know what despair is? If you're human, you probably do. If you go and you look it up and you want the official like definition of it, the book definition, despair is the lack or loss of hope, hopelessness. If you're not really booky and you want to just hear it in practical terms, it's, it's when the circumstances in life feel unsustainable or unlivable. When the things that pop up in your heart and in your head, the things that you start thinking are things like, I just cannot take this anymore. Anybody ever felt like that? When you're thinking, you know, this, this job just isn't cutting it, or, or that person is hopeless, or this relationship is just falling apart, there's no hope in this, or... I ran into this one personally recently. Why, 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 why does she keep doing that same thing over and over again and hurting the same people over and over again? For the people of God in this moment in their lives, they're face to face with a circumstance that could cause them to completely lose hope. I mean, think about it. Here they are. They've been living for decades, generations in a land, a home. This has been home for them, a safe place, a peaceful place to raise their children. And suddenly, someone in power decides, no, no, you're a threat. And now they're killing your infant sons. And fighting back is not an option. Can you imagine how that feels? When life is hard... And we don't know what's going to happen next. These are circumstances when it might be tempting to despair. When our emotional reaction to what is happening was, is to just throw up our hands and give up. Because what can you do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. And these are circumstances. These are instances that happen to us that can cause us to feel despair, to lose hope, to, to wonder if there's even a purpose for anything. But that's not the only way to experience Despair. That's not the only way that hopelessness enters into, the possibility of hopelessness enters into our lives. There is a more sinister uh, aspect as well, an avenue by which despair can get a hold of us. And it's not just something that comes from outside of us and lands on us. We, too, can have a hand in our own hopelessness. It is just as devastating when we pick the wrong thing to hope in, when we make certain decisions for the wrong reasons, when we hang on to what we think will take care of us no matter what, and that's what we're going to hang on to, and we're not giving up, and we're just going to, that's the end all be all, and, and the answer to all the things that, that we have going on, that can be just as dangerous 
that can lead to despair. And it's something that sneaks into life in everyday little ways. We might not even be aware that it's happening. I was trying to reflect on, okay, so what's one way that I put my, put my hope in the wrong thing? I want a good example. And uh, I was thinking back to our trip to Iowa for Thanksgiving. Uh, my wife and I, were going to go to Iowa to visit family for Thanksgiving. We're going to take the Buick. Uh, we have a 2002 Buick. It's got 180,000 miles on it. <laughs> And we get into it to head on off to Iowa, and we're starting to drive out of the driveway, and, and Laura says, is that gas? I'm like, yeah, but we'll get moving. It'll blow away. <laughs> so we ran a couple of errands, went back to drop something off at the house, left the car running in the driveway, walk in the house, go back out, get, get to the car door. It's like, whoo, don't light a match. So I guess we're not taking the Buick. I think instead we're taking the truck. Now, the reason we wanted to take the Buick is because it's 700 miles one way, and that's 30 miles per gallon. Guess what the truck gets? 16? There was a stiff wind against us. I'm glad we had the truck, though. We hit that blizzard in Iowa City, and all-wheel drive is woo! <laughs> but one of the realities of our life is we have older cars. The truck is an 06. It's got 190,000 miles on it. And guess what happens when you have older vehicles? You got to fix them. You got to fix fuel leaks at the fuel rail. Well, you got to pay somebody to fix that. But it's still inconvenient. And this keeps happening. This keeps happening with our cars. And I find myself struggling to keep a good perspective. We don't want to be people who go into debt. But I want a new car. Because if I just have a new car, I won't have these problems anymore, right? If I can just start at zero. Oh, to have a car to start at zero miles. Oh. <laughs> And that smell, if I could just, if that would just be true, if this thing, if, oh, this, this, this beautiful thing. And this is me putting my hope, my hope, my peace, my happiness, the, the future, anything of well-being when it comes to transportation into the hands of a new car. And guess what happens to new cars? They break down too. Can you imagine how I would feel if I had a new car and then suddenly it had to go in for a recall? I would do, I would be upset. <laughs> we put our hope in the wrong things, and it too lets us down. Now, that's a, that's an, okay, that's a normal one, but it's all, it, it, it's not just these frivolous, extra little things, these inconveniences of, of modern North American life. It's also, there's, there's big stuff that we put our hope in that's not real too. My parents divorced when I was five. I didn't have a dad around to teach me what it meant to be a man. And when I was a teenager, I was quite upset about that. I was angry at him. And I pushed him away for years. I said, I don't want anything to do with you because if you would have been around, my life wouldn't be so hard. I wouldn't have trouble figuring this out. If you would have just, if you would have just, if you would have just, if only. There was my hope. And it led to many, many years of misery before God got a hold of me and said, kid, call your dad and love him. Despair doesn't just happen because we lose hope. It is also the inevitable result when we misplace our hope. 
Like it says in, in Proverbs 14, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The people in Egypt had this temptation. They're in the moment, in the middle of a moment when they could be tempted to, 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 to lose hope, to despair, right? They're in slavery. Thing, everything is going awry. But when you read through this passage, don't miss it. There are little subtle ways that might not uh, speak to our culture, which means we might not understand them as well. But there are these little things that God puts in there to help us understand that in the midst of what they were going through, the people of God did not lose hope. They kept their hope in the Lord. They hung on to the truth, even in the midst of chaos. We know this. We know how God blessed them in this. We know that God was with them in this. Because it, says a, it tells us little things that you might miss because it's not the way our culture thinks. It says things like they were exceedingly fruitful and multiplied greatly. This was a way in that culture to say they were hanging on to God and God was hanging on to them. Even when it was hard, they didn't let go. Even as they suffered under the tyrannical rule of a pagan king, they were blessed by the God who was with them. As the midwives followed and feared God and did things the way God wanted things done, which was not to kill the babies, the reward, the mark of their reward was that they were given families of their own. You might not know this, but back then, midwives were often past childbearing age. This is our, our passage reminding us that when you hang on to God and do things the way he wants them done and, and, and not to forget who he is and how he's made you and that you're not alone, he is going to be with us. And he will find ways to remind us that he is with us. The people of God back then were hoping in the Lord because God was with them. You remember when Pastor Trent said that a couple of weeks ago? We were in uh, Genesis 46, and he said, don't miss this verse. This verse, you read over it, and a lot of people miss it, but it's a major verse. It's huge in what it says, and it goes something like this. When God spoke to Jacob in the middle of the night, he goes, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob's like, here I am, God, and God says, hey, I am God. I am the God of your father. Don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. I'm going to make you into a great nation there. And then God says this in verse 4. I will go down to Egypt with you. Remember what Pastor Trent was saying. This, this isn't God standing back and going, I can see you. Don't worry. I know what's going on. It's okay. Because he's God. Because he can see everything, right? He's God. No, God says, I'm going to pack up my stuff and we're moving together. And I'm going to dwell with you. Now, that doesn't diminish the severity of what they're going through. It doesn't change the temptation they might have had, must have had to be awash in despair, desperate, distressed, anguish, hopeless. If there was ever a time when people could despair, it must, that, that was one of them, okay? I mean, here they are, generations being born, living, and then dying all in slavery being worked ruthlessly, their children under constant threat of death. It is a terrible thing. I would never try and convince you that it was a good thing. But what the enemy of God intends for evil, God uses to offer hope. I think, I believe, that it is in the reality of our circumstances, the difficult circumstances, the things that try us to the very core of our being, it is in the reality of those moments that the fullness of hope can finally be understood. 
Just like, just like when it's the darkest of dark and somebody turns on a light, that light just... I don't know if you've ever considered this, and, and, and I'm not trying to say that you should seek out suffering, but I think that hardships, the hardships we have in life are not just negative. I think they're opportunities. I think they might even be moments where God invites us to find real hope, to look for him. That, the, 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 that God himself alone could be everything that we hang on to. Because here's something that God knows that sometimes we forget. Cancer can come back. And our kids can start making the decisions that we're struggling with again. And the stock market can crash and accidents happen and governments change. And none of those things was ever intended to be our hope. Because in a fallen world, every single one of them will fail. I think the things that might cause us despair, I think the things, the circumstances, the realities, even the mistakes we make and when we put our hope in the wrong place are opportunities, invitations where God says, have you forgotten about me? Take this moment and turn your eyes to me. Remember that I am, I will be, I have always been. And I'm not gonna forget you. He'll never forget us. We can't hide from him. We can't run far enough away. We can't do anything to cause him to stop loving us. We can't push him away hard enough. We're not strong enough. We don't have that ability. You're not going to scare God. He's unscarable. And he wants to be with us. He is with us. And that is our hope. I want to tell you a story, and I got to tell you something before I get into this story. Uh, I, can't, I couldn't find where this story came from. I remember it. Like, it's in my heart, and I, I don't know if I read it or somebody told it to me, and it's a great story. It just, it just took root in there, and I love it, and I want to share it with you, but I couldn't find where it comes from. Um, so if you know where it came from, let me know. But that means that it could be real, or it could be one of those sermon illustrations that pastors just make up. Which Pastor Irv told me after, after worship this morning that he never did that. So not all pastors do that. I do that. I make up a story. And, but it's got a good message, right? It's, it's a good message. And, and, and it, it's powerful. And it helps us learn something. Um, so I don't know which one this is. Uh, but I've got to tell it anyway. So the story goes like this. There was a, a group of Christian missionaries off in the mission field doing their, their, doing their Jesus-y thing. And they were captured by the foreign government that they were in the land of. And for some reason, I want to say like Iran or something like that. It was, it was a dangerous place. And this group of missionaries gets taken and put into prison. Several of them were killed, like, boom, right off the bat. And the rest of them had their lives under threat of death constantly. I mean, every day it would be like, I think we're going to kill you today. And then sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. And they didn't know what was going to happen. 
And so they're, they're, they're in the uncertainty and in no way to know what's going to happen in their life, if their life is going to end, and they're praying, and all they've got is God and, and, this, and Jesus and their faith, and that's it. That's all they've got. Well, they were able to sneak in like a New Testament, and they divided it up, and they're sharing it amongst each other. And, and if they could sneak a, a different, hey, do you got the Gospel of John? No, no, I've got an epistle. Okay. <laughs> but... So they're trapped there, and they don't know, and they're praying, send us home, God, send us home. And they're just praying and praying every day. That's all they've got. And then one day, boom, they get to go home. And they come back to the States, and they've got, everybody's happy, and the prayers are answered, and there's great celebrations, and, and weeks go by, months go by, and they kind of keep in touch. And then one day, they decide they want to meet again. And it's been a, quite a long time, and they get together, and they're sitting around this table together, and one of them goes, I... I got something I got to tell you guys, and it's just, it's tearing me up, but, and I don't know if you're experiencing this. Um, I'm really struggling in my faith since we got home. Um, I, I keep trying to pray, and I can't figure it out, and I, I try and be in God's word, and, and, I, and it just doesn't click, and, and I, I'm feeling really far away from my God and my Jesus, and I don't know why. This doesn't make sense. Here we are. I'm home and everything's great. And I can't find him right now. And the other folks around the table start nodding. And they're like, yeah, I'm having that too. I'm struggling with that too. Guys, I, I don't get it. But it's getting to a point. I'm desperate. I'm getting so desperate to have God back. I almost want to go back. I almost want to go back to prison. In the despair and the horrors of their experience, they had learned that their real hope is only their Father in heaven. That he alone is the hope of the world. He's the only thing that doesn't change. He's the only thing that doesn't let us down. He's the only one who will not abandon. He's the only one that won't fail. You know what it says in 1 Peter? It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living, do you know the word? Hope. In Hebrews, it says, Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. <coughs> Only God is absolutely certain. Only he as our hope is absolutely certain. There's no iffiness in the hope that he offers. There's no waffling about whether or not it will come to pass. You don't have to hedge your bets and you don't have to take out insurance. Folks, real hope is not yearning that our hardships will go away. It's the truth that God is right here with us no matter how our hardships end. And for us, for God's people, hope is not getting what we want. It's that we're not alone. Godly hope has never been about our pain or hurt being solved. It's that we are loved and deeply regarded by the one who made us hope. This is, this is my definition for hope. This is what hope means to me. Hope is choosing the giver instead of the gift.
Freedom is great and security is wonderful and strength and health and happiness are fine, but those are all just gifts. And God gives them abundantly, often. But they are not the giver. And we can't hope in them because in this fallen world, they will all fail. The gift is never better than the giver. And there's something Pastor Trent's been saying for several, for the last couple of months, and, I, and it, it applies to this reality, right? Because it's hard not to have a hope and a gift. It's hard not to want the blessings from God. And it's okay to want them, but they can't be the end-all, be-all. They can't be where we think we're going to get our strength. Pastor Trent has been saying over and over again, and I don't want us to miss it, God's timeline is not ours. Because God knows what's going on. He knows universally what we need and what is good for us and what is good for all. And he's got a story that he is telling, a greater narrative. His timeline is not ours. And that means that the gifts that we might put our hope in might be gifts that are never meant for us. Again, there were generations of Israelites who were born, lived, and died in slavery. Does that mean that God didn't love them? No. It meant it wasn't time for that gift to be given. And that's why we can't, we can't figure out and decide that's the gift that has to be or else God isn't good. That's the way it has to be or else God doesn't love me. That's not true. God is still here. He was with them even in the midst of that bondage. He is with us even today. No matter what's going on, no matter how it turns out, God is with us. That is our hope. That's the promise of Christmas. The giver is coming. The giver is with us. Emmanuel. Woohoo! No matter what you're going through, no matter how tempting it might be to despair, we have hope because our hope is in God, our Savior, and our God. And as we begin Advent, Christmas is on the way. We're going to be celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus. We celebrate that he has come. We celebrate that he's going to come again so that we can be with him. He is our hope and we get to be with him. And you know, he's going to bring salvation and that's awesome. And, and, he's, and he's going to bring heaven for us and that's great. And forgiveness rocks, but those are just the gifts. Don't mix them up with who the giver is. Jesus alone is hope and will only have hope, real hope, to sustain and uphold us through the depths of any despair if we have him, just him. Praise be to God and to Jesus Christ, the living hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for never letting us down and... And reminding us over and over again how important we are to you. And that doesn't mean everything's going to change and be better and, 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 and all the hardship is going to go away. We don't know what gifts you're going to give us, but we know that you will give us gifts. You are our hope. And today, today as we gather for communion around your table, we cling to you and you alone. You are our strength. You are our hope. We have communion with you. 
and we remember. We remember all that you have done for us. You are worthy and good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let God love you just the way he loves you. Receive who he is and let him be your hope today and tomorrow and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Peace.